Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on the Meat Mafia, Brett and Harrison. I see this a lot in the low carb community. We have a strong tendency to focus just on like the macronutrient profile, right? Protein, carbs, fat, what are those ratios looking like? But we've kind of gotten away from the ability to look at the micronutrient profile. You know, what are the vitamins and minerals and nutrients that we're actually extracting from the meat? And that makes a massive difference. And I'm gonna be totally honest. In 2018, when I first went carnivore, my budget could pretty much only afford beef from the local grocery store. And I ate that and I still healed my stomach. So number one, you should always be doing what's best for your for your budget. And if you are eating stuff in the outer aisle of the grocery store, you're still gonna be healthier than 99% of the population. But to make that intentional effort to source things from a local farm, you're gonna be supporting basically an entirely new supply chain that's way healthier for the farmer, it's way healthier for you. You're able to extract more micronutrients from the animal and you're gonna have those optimal health goals that you're looking for. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome. We have listeners in 111 countries. We won the award for Keto Podcast of the Year 2022. We're super proud of that. And I'm grateful that you're with us today. Today, we bring on the Meat Mafia, Brett Ender, Harrison Gray. And wow, are you going to love to hear their journey? Pain to purpose to promise. That's like a recurring theme. These stories are just incredible and they're coming out every single day. So Brett's going to share his story, dealing with colitis, going through very expensive conventional treatment. I'm talking about $50,000 every eight weeks for an infusion. And then he discovered maybe it's the food he's eating. Maybe it's the processed foods, the vegetable oils, high carbohydrate intake. So he transitioned to a ketogenic approach and eventually to a carnivore approach, which seems to be the transition for many of us, isn't it? And he was able to heal his colitis, put it at bay, and really overcome serious health challenges. He was going to the bathroom several times a day. His quality of life was poor, and he was able to overcome something that the conventional doctors told him we can't really reverse. Well, he proved them wrong. And how many people do we have on our show that prove conventional wisdom wrong all the damn time? I love it. So you're going to love his story. And then Harrison also has a story of pain to purpose, dealing with severe acne, gut issues, and what he did to transition his dietary approach, cooking meals at home. He's going to give you some tips on that as well. And got rid of his acne, put on healthy weight, took off unhealthy weight, built lean muscle. They're running 
uh, marathons and ultra marathons and incredible races. They talk about a race coming up that they're doing this weekend in uh, Texas, I believe. So we talk about that and then we get into regenerative agriculture. This is very, very important because you're going to hear people say, meat is bad for you. Meat is bad for the environment. That's a blanket statement that holds little truth. And there's a right way to buy your animal products and meet your farmers and learn about them and the processing about all that. They're going to give you a masterclass. I learned a lot about that. And also even shopping at the grocery store. They're going to give you some tips and things to do at the grocery store and some also phenomenal resources for you to find local chapters of Weston A. Price. where They talk about wild foods, an app called Shire.io. Uh, they give some great resources, which we'll reference down below. So you're going to love them. Their mission is also very important. I love what they're doing. They've got a great Twitter. Go subscribe to both of their Twitter handles. We'll drop that down below. Before I bring them on, I want to get to today's Apple podcast rating and review of the day from Juana Porio. Five-star review titled Bright and Informative. Ben brings an awesome verve to his podcast. He has a genuine interest in his guests covering topics from dental health to, of course, the ketogenic diet. There's a lot to unpack here, so be prepared. Highly recommend for anybody who's interested in their health. I love that, Juana. Thank you so much. We do talk, cover all topics from mental, emotional to cavitations, heavy metals, keto, carnivore, uh, trapped emotions, energy healing. I mean, we bring on the best of the best. I've learned so much in our 400 plus episodes that we've done. And I would, I would take your comment a step further, your review and say, not just interested in health, but those who are committed. There's a difference between being interested and being committed. When you're committed, you do whatever it takes. And that's the type of uh, culture that we're building here. So Juana, you're one of those people committed. Thank you so much for listening. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast, a rating and review on whatever platform you're li listening from right now, please do so. It really, really helps the show grow. And we put a lot of energy, resources, money into getting three episodes out to you each week. I want to remind you that my heavy metal detox program is starting very, very soon. And we have nine spots left for this 90-day detox program where I'm going to show you how to remove the number one cause of cellular membrane inflammation, toxins, lead, mercury, mold, glyphosate, etc. We take these participants through a 90-day detox program where you get four 60-minute group coaching calls that I lead myself, access to an online platform to learn from Dr. Pompa, Dr. Mindy Pels, and all the other doctors I work with, and all the supplements and testing kits are also included. This is a game changer, and it was a game changer, and it still has been. I'm still doing detox for my health. Detox is in vogue, and when we talk about detox, we're referring to true cellular detox. So we have nine spots left for this group. I hope you hear this on time and you visit www.ketocampdetox.com. Camp is spelled with a K, ketocampdetox.com. Watch that short video there, learn about it, and hopefully you could join and be one of those nine spots that are left. We'll drop a link for that down below in the podcast notes. Okay, let's get right into this episode with the Meat Mafia. The Meat Mafia officially began in January 2022 with one mission in mind, share their wealth of practical experiences in transforming their own health through an active animal-based lifestyle. Animal-based living emphasizes the elimination 
of processed foods and the consumption of natural whole foods. Here is Brett Ender and Harrison Gray. I got the meat mafia with me. We got Brett and we got Harrison. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we were uh, we were pumped. We met you at KetoCon, and now we got to keep it going on the podcast. We'll do a little swap where we come on yours, and then hopefully you get to come on ours too. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, love to go. I would love to go on your podcast. You guys are doing great things. You've interviewed some awesome people. I was checking out the list of people you've interviewed, and you've got an amazing Twitter as well. That's actually how I discovered you. I forget who it was, a, a mutual friend of ours, can't think of who it was, said, hey, you got to check out this Twitter account. And I started checking you guys out. And then we actually DM'd on uh, Twitter. I think I was speaking to you, Brett, on Twitter. And mm-hmm. then uh, I met you, Brett, at uh, KetoCon. I don't think we met Harrison, right, at KetoCon, did we? No, we didn't. I had to head out for a wedding on that Saturday. So I, I was there Friday when like not too many people were there, which was actually great because we got to bump into a bunch of people that we were excited to meet. But I missed that intense uh, that intense day on Saturday when everyone came. It was a great conference. I really enjoyed it. A lot of people were there. They were flowing in and out. Uh, they did a great job. I, I'm looking forward to returning. But anyways, let's talk about you guys. You got both of you have amazing uh, stories of pain to purpose, uh, some of the health challenges you were going through, and you found what I call ancient healing strategies, right? Fasting, ketosis, carnivore. These are things that have been around forever for as long as humans have existed you know a lot of people think that it's new but it might just be new to that person or nuance but they they're ancient they've been around forever so let's start with you brett i know you struggled a lot with colitis you had uh you were a typical bodybuilder mindset eating whatever you want dirty bulking etc so share a little bit about your upbringing and the things you did growing up and how that affected you as you turned into an adult yeah it's a great question i think the cool thing too about what we're doing at the meat mafia is both harris and i have had our own separate experiences where we kind of feel like, you know, not to blame anyone, but we feel like we kind of got failed by the standard American diet a little bit, which led us to some of our own personal health issues, which Harrison will get into, I'll get into, that led us to the point where we are now. So they almost turned out to be blessings in disguise, where it's like you had this this bout of like metabolic disease or unhealth, but it was able to kind of push you to a higher version of yourself. Um, So I would say for me personally, I mean, I have amazing parents. I'm from the Northeast, great family. Uh, my mom was always cooking like delicious meals for me growing up. And I kind of just justified everything that I was eating because I was an athlete. You know, I played baseball at a very competitive level. Both Harrison and I played in college at Babson College, which is a division three school in Boston. That's how we met and initially became friends and was just doing the classic, you know, calories in, calories out, calories a calorie, you know, working out a bunch, drinking pre-workout, drinking protein powder, partying too much. So alcohol consumption, not sleeping enough, just eating too much processed refined foods. And also I was probably just a little bit too stressed out, like particularly with baseball when I was playing in college, I wasn't really having fun. I was putting way too much pressure on myself to the point where I would literally feel anxiety and nausea. Like sometimes I would get sick before I was playing. So, you know, kind of went from having a lot of fun to just being stressed out all the time. I think too much fight or flight. And so everything started to change when I had turned 21. I was going into my senior year of college. I was interning at a financial services company in New York City. And I'm from New Jersey. So that summer, I was living at home in New Jersey, and I was interning in New York. So I would take the train in, which was two hours each way. And so I started noticing in June, I was like, I'm starting to go to the bathroom more than normal, like not like two times a day, like five plus times a day. And I was like, oh, I'll probably be fine. Maybe I just didn't eat something super well. Didn't really think anything of it. And then the symptoms, the urgency to go to the bathroom was getting worse and worse. 
And then I started to get blood in my stool. And I don't really have a great excuse for why I didn't say anything. I don't know if I was just naive or I thought I was invincible or I was honestly just like embarrassed to tell my parents or my friends. But it got so bad that by that August, I was going to the bathroom like close to 30 times a day. And it was basically like straight blood. And the symptoms got so bad that I ended up, you know, getting rushed to the emergency room, um, got put in the hospital, got a colonoscopy, and I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And some people know colitis, some people don't. It's very similar to Crohn's or IBS. Um, I know we, we talked about autoimmune diseases before we hit the record button, but colitis is an autoimmune disease that affects your large intestine, which is your colon. And it's all centered around inflammation. So basically, whether it's genetic, stress, diet, some combination of the three, we don't necessarily know what causes it, but the result is that you get these bloody ulcers in your colon from the severe inflammation. So you can't really process any food and your life be basically becomes dependent on going to the bathroom. So like you're, you have no control. You're literally just going to go basically. So when I, that summer, your whole life is like, okay, where's the bathroom? Is, does the Starbucks have a bathroom? If I'm on a date, what's my excuse going to be to go to the bathroom? Like, and a lot of people don't talk about it. And it's mostly men in their twenties. They're the most common segment to get diagnosed with colitis and that's why you know we wanted to share stories like this because we need to open up and talk and be vulnerable so we can actually treat some of these things. But anyway, so I got diagnosed with colitis. And then what they tell you is that it's an incurable disease. So the best that they can do is put you into remission, but they can't actually cure it. So I was on a cocktail of prednisone, which is an oral steroid. I was on a medication called Lialda. And then I was on a medication called prednisone, uh, not, not prednisone, um, Remicade. And Remicade is a biologic drug that they, they give it to you via infusion and you get it every single eight weeks. And that's like the big drug. It's an immunosuppressant and it's supposed to keep your, your colon, the, the colitis in remission. And the infusion is $50,000 per infusion. For me alone, I was costing the medical system 400K a year, a few million dollars when it was all said and done. There's over a million people that are on Remicade. So you can imagine the, the cost or healthcare system over time. And that's pretty much what I thought my life was going to be like forever, um, just being told that there is no cure and just hopefully your stomach gets better. And I think a good caveat, Ben, to the story is that I'm not anti-Western medicine or any of this stuff because I do think that my stomach was literally so inflamed that that medication is what got me out of that initial flare-up. Like I just needed some Western intervention. I needed some medical intervention because my stomach was so chronically inflamed. And then everything really changed for me when I graduated college and I was living on my own in New York City in 2018. And the reason why I say that is that I was living with my roommate who was pretty health conscious and he started cooking a lot of his own meals. So he started teaching me some basic dishes like ground beef, steak, chicken thighs. And I started noticing that my symptoms were getting a little bit better. And then what really made the shift was in 2019, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast. I came across his episode with Sean Baker who if anyone doesn't know Sean Baker is like my recommendation is just to Google him and listen to his podcast on Joe Rogan. He was a surgeon who's like the biggest advocate of a carnivore diet. And the carnivore diet is it's an animal-based diet centered on different types of meat, eggs, fish, animal products. Some people will include raw unpasteurized dairy, but it's mostly just, you know, meat, fish, eggs. And he started talking about all these people that had incurable autoimmune conditions that were curing them through this diet. And so the red light kind of went off in my head because I started thinking to myself, okay, if I could get off of this drug 
and not be plagued by this chronic inflammation, my life would be changed. Like I basically said, okay, I really have nothing to lose because I can experiment with this diet and then hopefully it goes great. But if not, you know, I, I'm still, I'm doing okay. And so I very vividly remember in 2019, just going to the local Whole Foods in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, buying all the steak, all the ground beef, the chicken thighs, the fish. I lived in this tiny little apartment, so I was just setting the smoke alarm off all the time because I, I get a book. Um, but what I will tell you is that after the first week, uh, my symptoms of going to the bathroom went down to like twice a day. So for someone with colitis, like that's literally unheard of in a week. Huge. And what, what the other symptoms that I noticed were like all the bloating in my stomach was gone. It's like you're, you're kind of in like this inflamed bloating state that went away. My skin cleared up. My energy got better. Like I would pop out of bed with like vigor and energy that I never had before. I was making improvements in the gym. And that was like after seven days of doing this, like it almost seemed too good to be true. So I did it for another week. Those two weeks turned into a month. That month turned into two months. And now fast forward a couple of years, I'm at this point now where um, uh, I got a colonoscopy in March of 2021. So because with colitis, you have an increased chance of getting colon cancer. So they make you go under the scope every two years. And I, my stomach looked so good to the point where there was no inflammation. There was no microinflammation. My doctor was actually willing to get me off of Remicade. And so I don't know of many other people that have come off Remicade. I was the first patient that he'd ever gotten off Remicade before. And that was like a huge indication of like, okay, diet and lifestyle can, I don't want to say that I'm effectively cured because you can never know. But for right now, I have zero inflammation in my stomach, no microinflammation. I'm in the best shape of my life. I mentally feel amazing. And our goal with the Meat Mafia is that these, hopefully that these stories become less and less common and we can use the internet to share our experiences with diet and lifestyle. And if you, you can Google IBS, Crohn's, colitis, carnivore, low carb, there are thousands of stories of people that are curing these things. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to hog this up too much, but um, <laughs> no. Carrie's tired of me telling the story, but uh, it's just, it's just crazy what diet and lifestyle can, can do for you. I, I think a caveat to the story too, that um, a lot of people probably don't realize or didn't realize like what Brett was going through. Uh, I know I didn't like, I was really good friends with Brett and we got closer and closer after college doing some endurance uh, events together and I specifically remember this run around the Charles River in Boston where we were talking about life and he had just gone off his medication. And I didn't even know he was going through all the stuff that he was going through. So like just having community like afterwards mm -hmm. to just continue to build that momentum around better lifestyle and better nutrition, I think is just massive for people. So having people who are willing to share their story and then lean into those people around you to like build the support system is a nice little caveat there that I think a lot of people probably don't really have because they're so afraid of like what, the, I mean, what they're going through is somewhat socially embarrassing. You know, like they always need to know where the bathroom is. You know, it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about with friends and family. So, you know, I didn't even know what he was going through. And I just remember that conversation. He's like, yeah, I'm off my medication. I'm like, damn, dude, like, and the more I've heard him tell the story, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it really is amazing. And I, I love the story because it's inspiring to so many people who are listening to this right now. And maybe it's not colitis, somebody is, who's listening to this or watching this on YouTube. Maybe it's some other autoimmune disease. I mean, there's over 100 of them out there. And uh, typically it takes 10 to 15 years before somebody's diagnosed with autoimmune disease, even though they've had it for that long, right? But then a diagnosis is made. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink, for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health 
metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called good idea. And it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N, at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. And it's all down, boils down to the gut, right? Intestinal permeability, leak, aka leaky gut, right? So um, you both had it. I mean, Brett had leaky gut. And for you, in your scenario, Brett, you had food particles that were going undigested because there were holes in your intestinal lining, very common with leaky gut. And here's a newsflash, by the way. Most people have leaky gut. Some are more severe than others, but most Americans have leaky gut. But when you have leaky gut, you're eating these foods and you're eating foods that are causing the leaky gut, these inflammatory foods. So it's poking more holes in your gut. Food particles go undigested, enters the bloodstream, and the immune system has to do something about it. So it activates the immune system. And if that happened once in a while, no big deal. When this happens every day, you're eating these foods every single day, you have this autoimmune response and it started to attack your large intestine. It created these ulcers in your colon, colitis, right? And then boom, you're diagnosed with it. And, you know, thank God for Western medicine. Thank God that you had the treatment. And it's crazy to think you said, uh, 50, did you say 80,000, 50,000 per eight weeks? You said 50,000 every eight weeks per infusion to get the medication. Yeah. And over a million people are doing that in the U S each. Yeah. It might. And I don't, we can, we can fact check it. I, I think there's over a million people that have colitis. I think there's over 2 million people that are on Remicade. Wow. Think of that. Because Remicade is for Crohn's, colitis, IBS, and a few other autoimmune diseases. Right. So it's a combination of, of all those. But yeah. man, that is crazy to think what it's doing to the, our health. I mean, it's making a lot of money for them, <laughs> the people who came up with that, but it's destroying our healthcare. And it's, and it's treating the symptom. It's not getting to the actual cause. Like you got to the cause. Thank God for Sean Baker and Joe Rogan's episode that you happen to come across it. And seven days in, you started to notice those amazing benefits. Now, are you still carnivore 100% to this day or do you kind of go in and out of it? Yeah, it's a good question. We talk we talk about that a lot. And um, I would say that when I'm strict carnivore, and what I mean by that, when I'm as, as close to like red meat, salt, butter, bone broth, eggs as possible, that's personally when I feel the best, but I don't do that all the time. Like I will mix in fruit. I'll mix in some vegetables that sit well with my stomach some potatoes, some starches, some rice every once in a while, some honey every once in a while, some raw dairy in the coffee. And I, I go through phases. So like sometimes we'll, we'll do carnivores like a removal diet for like two weeks. And I instantly notice that my all my, my gut just immediately starts to feel better. But you know, I, I experiment and try and go from there. But I would say that this the closer I am to lower carb, the better my energy feels my skin is the best. And my stomach is has the least amount of bloating possible. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll share a little bit about what I do, but I want to hear Harrison's story first. 
So thank you for sharing that, Brett. That, that's a, an amazing story and very inspiring. And we'll go back to you and some of the things you've learned uh, since you started Carnivore. But Harrison, what's your pain to purpose to promise story, brother? Yeah, so I actually, I have a very similar upbringing to Brett. You know, grew up with a very athletic background, playing a bunch of sports. So training was always kind of front and center for that. So when I was 13, started running, really paying attention to the training side of sports. I was lucky enough, similar to Brett, to have a mom who was very conscious about the food that was being put on the table. But similarly, also like the intentions were there, but sometimes it wasn't always perfect. So like, I feel like my mom was always big on dairy, but it was like skim milk and like she was a proponent of like uh, ice cream being a food group. So it wasn't always perfect, but, you know, always very uh, well-prepared meals. We ate dinner together. So, you know, that was always a key part of my day and also just like, a very fundamental part of my upbringing, just knowing that there's conscious effort being put into the food that's being put on the table. But the training aspect for me was something that was always huge. So, you know, I was playing baseball, football in high school, got really into weightlifting at that point. So like my sophomore and junior year was really into the gym. And at that time, you know, meals being prepared at home were great, but lunch at school, I was eating garbage. And so I looked great, like I was at the gym, felt great but my skin started to flare up. So my first inter interaction with kind of the healthcare system and me needing uh, healthcare was through skin problems. So I ended up, you know, with terrible cystic acne. And I attribute that looking backwards all to diet related to what I was eating at school. Like it was like nachos with terrible nacho cheese on it, subs, just, you know, I'm a big guy. I was eating a ton, um, you know, going to practice after, after school, just and then lifting after practice. So it was very much investing in the nutri or the, uh, the training side of things and not much into the nutrition side of things. So that resulted in the cystic acne, ultimately ended up getting on Accutane, which looking back, like I really wish that I had the guidance where it was to, to focus more on the nutrition side of things and fi fixing some of the dietary issues with skin. But really that was kind of my first interaction with, with the healthcare system and then moved on to college and really started to develop a little bit more of a, a better nutritional scope and how I was going to map out like eating properly. So I started noticing, um, you know, I got on the paleo diet my freshman year, which for, you know, a college athlete really focusing on your nutrition. Like I felt like there was probably like one or two other people who were as dialed in as I was. And I started noticing the benefits performance wise, just in the gym felt way better, was really, really high energy. Like it, energy that I hadn't felt before. And all that was attributed to diet and just higher quality training as well. And then fast forward a few years, I'm in a, a corporate job, you know, working the nine to five um, for five years. And like three years in, I'm looking at myself, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not the athlete I used to be. I'm looking, you know, looking a little softer, had put on a few pounds. At that point, you know, I'd gone through probably like one phase of like really trying to dial in the nutrition, eat healthier, not eat as many processed foods. You know, it was always like pretty good about it, but just like not perfect. And then at the start of uh, COVID, when everything kind of stopped, I had this period where I started cooking all my meals, which for me was a complete shift. Like prior to COVID, I was probably, I was only cooking like one out of three meals a day. What were you doing? Were you just going to restaurants, ordering Uber Eats? Like what was your routine? Yeah, I, I was eating lunch like at the uh, cafeteria in the in the building that I worked at. And, you know, there was plenty of options. I usually tended to eat pretty well. Like there was, 
there was one uh, one restaurant called Dig In. It was like very well sourced foods. Usually you could get some healthy options, but the thing for me was there were snacks in the kitchen at my workplace. And I would always, you know, five o'clock would roll around, long night coming up, dive into the Doritos, dive into the Oreos. And, you know, that's where the issues were, right? Like the snacking part of things. So for me, getting, getting that time during COVID, like everything fell under my roof. Like I was buying all the food I was eating. I was cooking all the food I was eating. And at that moment in time, I was probably like, 240 pounds i'm 6'4 so like could hide the weight pretty easily but like was not feeling my best and um during the first month of covid cut out drinking uh really focused on cooking my, all my meals um was invested into the keto diet at that point um so i had tried paleo before was ready to try the keto diet had heard great things and this shift happened for me in the first two weeks where it was like just got leaned out i mean i was i probably lost like you know, 10 pounds within, within the first few weeks, was walking a ton. I was doing a step challenge with my family. I think I ended up walking like something close to like 20,000 steps a day one month. Um, was just going, throwing podcasts on, going for walks. And I was, I was keeping it simple. Like for the physical side of things, like gyms were shut down. And my motto was just like, keep it as simple as possible. Like walk, meditate, keep a food journal, get enough sleep, cook all my meals. And like focusing on the kitchen for me was the trick. Like everyone wants to rush into the gym, but I was like, look, if I can really just get this nutritional side of things dialed in for, for now and just build a strong foundation there, it will make my life going forward so much more positively impacted. And that like first three months of COVID, everyone was kind of like all over the place. I was so locked in. Like it was a great three months for me. I got my health back. I was down to like 215 pounds felt amazing. And um, at that moment in time, Brett and I were starting to talk again, like much more about these endurance races. And so we started putting some stuff on the schedule for fall of 2021. So we signed up for a full distance Ironman, which was really just a continuation of kind of Brett getting off his medication and me really reclaiming my health and getting back to that like athlete mindset when it came to being a healthy person. And like, you know, health aside, like whatever you want to do with your life, being a healthy person is going to make it better. So me just kind of focusing on that during that moment in time when like, you know, things with work weren't all that crazy. I had plenty of time back in my schedule um, with COVID, like without having to take the bus one hour each way into work, could cook all my meals. So like that moment in time was great. And it really funneled us into this Ironman, which is kind of the bedrock of us starting to write online and us doing everything that we're doing now with the podcast. So that's kind of how the stories like merge together. And I, I think both of us have just, loved being able to share the passion with each other like we signed up for this this iron man we were originally supposed to do the iron man in canada and it got canceled so we're we're trying to figure out all right like how do we want to play this do we want to sign up for an iron man and just like do, do them differently now like separate iron mans like we were in different cities and we decided to do the waco iron man together because we wanted to do the experience right we went down there for a month together lived together for the three weeks leading up to it cooking all of our meals together going to the grocery store, going to the farmer's market and getting all of our food and like the shared energy of us just talking about food all the time, like training for the Ironman. We, we started sharing all these stories about like, okay, like what do we want to do with our lives? Like what, what's our mission here? And it, it all just kind of like funneled into us doing all this writing online in, in the podcast. So I love that. I love the synergy between you two and how you both had the idea. How can we get this out? And you know, you started your podcast, you have your blog, your, your Twitter channel, so obviously, you know, the acne went away because I don't see any acne on you. 
So skin improved. You went from 240 pounds down to 215. Is that your baseline now, 215 or so? Yeah, 215, 220. Yeah, and you're super fit and lean. And that's a perfect example. Both of your examples are what happens when you change the food you put into your mouth, you change your environment. And what a blessing COVID was for you in the beginning because it, it forced you kind of to slow down, cook your own meals, uh, while other people went the op- opposite direction and gained whatever they call it, the COVID-15, the COVID-20. You went the other direction and started to focus on your health. So when you both did the, the was it the ultra marathon you said in Waco? Iron Man. Iron Man. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh when you both did that, did you do it um, while being in ketosis or did, how did you go about that nutrition wise? So I would say outside of our training, we were animal based, animal based carnivore. I mean, we were, we were eating incredibly clean, but during training, we still kind of, we still relied on the goose and like all the sugary drinks. So we, we'd probably like looking back and looking forward. Now we're trying to do these events without any of these like high sugary drinks, doing it with a lot cleaner food sources because we both noticed like during the race, after the race, we felt terrible because our guts were just not used to taking all that processed sugar. And we're like, we need to figure out if we're going to keep doing these endurance events, like they totally kind of contradict lifestyle. So is there a way to do this that we can do it on like kind of like a, the keto low carb approach? And there's a lot of great resources out there. You know, Stephen Finney's written a great book around low carb endurance there's a Mark Sisson has written a book about low carb endurance. And so we're, we're really just getting into that right now. So we're excited. Like the, our fu- the future events that we're doing are all going to be low carb. So I can't wait to hear how it goes for you. Yeah. I know we spoke Brett about potentially you using exogenous ketones for some of these runs. And there's some research to show that it could benefit uh, endurance training. So if you experiment with that, let me know. I want to hear the results of that. Yeah. yeah, we um we're doing a uh, we're doing a hundred k ultra this upcoming Saturday, which we're really excited about. It's called the Habanero One Hundred, and it's in Houston, and it starts at twelve o'clock. So basically, like the hottest part of the country, the hottest month of the year, the hottest time of the day. So we'll see how that goes. But we we <laughs> we are doing that fat adapted though. We got to connect with um, Layton Phillips that runs S Fuels. I know Dr. Dan Plews is affiliated with them, Zach Bitter. They've both done a ton of great work in the low-carb endurance space. So we are going to be fat adapted for that. And that is one thing that I have noticed since going down the low-carb carnivore rabbit hole is that your stomach does get more sensitive to some of the sugars and the standard American foods. So I just started noticing, it's like even though we did the Ironman, I had signed up for the Austin Marathon with Harrison and I was doing like the traditional carb loading and my stomach felt so bad. I was going to the bathroom. Like I couldn't even do the race. So that was for me, that was like, all right, I'm drawing a hard line in the sand where it's like, you're really about this low carb life. Now let's start to transition and do these races fat adapted and show people that you can still put up good times doing that. And there are plenty of other athletes like right. Dave Scott, he won, uh, he won Kona six times. He's now completely low carb. He's a huge advocate of it. So there's a lot of people that are out there that are trying to trailblaze, which gets, which gets us very excited. So this Saturday, you're doing a 100K run. Is that what you said? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, do you plan to do that without stopping? Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's definitely going to be a decent amount of uh, like fill-ups on nutrition and things like that. Um, but yeah. Other than that, I mean, you're just going to be you're nonstop other than the, the fill-ups. And how, like, what's your goal and time-wise to complete that race? Finish strong, right? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying to do it sub-12, just like right around an 11 to 12-minute uh, mile pace. So by midnight, by midnight on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll text you and, and let you know where we're at at midnight. <laughs> Please, yeah. That's, 
I, I, I want to hear about it. I mean, it's super cool. What is going to, what's your strategy? What are you going to do leading up to it uh, that morning? Like, what are you going to do nutrition wise? So we, we have, we have the S fuels, which we're really excited about. So we're going to supplement. We're not going to, we're not going to mix in any carbohydrates in the morning. And then for the first hour of the race, just to make sure that the body is actually burning fat properly, but it's a six mile course and it's relatively flat, which is good. And so it's 10, it's basically 10 laps of the six mile track. So we have a buddy that's going to crew us. We'll have all of our nutrition, all of our fuel. We're big element guys, just because we're both, yeah, right there. We're, we're salty sweaters. And that was the thing for the Ironman. We had done a couple half Ironmans and we screwed up the sodium. We didn't take in enough sodium and we both cramped up bad. And we doubled up on our sodium for Ironman Waco in October and neither of us cramped over 13, 14 hours. So we definitely for this race, especially because it's going to be so hot, we'll probably do 2000 milligrams of sodium an hour, which should, which should probably be, be adequate. But you know, it's, it's a mental game. It's like just taking it one lap at a time. We're going to have all the fuel there. We have the S fuels. And it's, you know, we'll, we'll run, walk it. You're not running the entire thing. You know, you're, you're power walking it, which gets you to that like 11, 12 minute mile. Oh, that's, a, that's exciting. I can't wait to hear about it. That's super cool. Hey, I want to take a brief minute to share something with you. For many years, I used to take fish oil and recommend it. And I see a lot of people in the keto space overdoing it with fish oil. There are several reasons why I am not a fan of fish oil and why I stopped recommending it to all of my clients several years ago. Number one, 83% of fish oil is expected to be rancid on the shelf before you even consume it. There was also an experiment done. This study was called the Iowa Screening Experiment. This study showed it took 18 weeks to reverse the negative effect of the incorporation of EPA and DHA from fish oil into the cell membrane. Another study found that fish oil increased the risk of colon cancer in mice. Here's the quote. We found that mice developed deadly late-stage colon cancer when given high doses of fish oil. More importantly, with the increased inflammation, it only took four weeks for the tumors to develop. Simply put, I stopped taking it. I stopped recommending it. I use a plant-based omega from Pureform. This supplement is nitrogen-infused, which preserves and protects it. It has the proper balance of omega-6 to omega-3, and most importantly, it gives you the derivatives, the building blocks, they're called parent essential oils, for you to produce your own EPA and DHA. If you wanna learn more about Pureform, head over to purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4, that is B-E-N, the number four, at checkout, and you'll get $4 off your capsules of Pureform. We will also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. All right, let's go back to this episode. Right, let's uh, transition now and talk a little bit about your, your purpose with Meat Mafia, all right? You talk a lot about agriculture. You have blogs, you have videos, you've got a great website. Your Twitter is really focused on that. What do you see? Like, what are some of the myths out there you see surrounding red meat, cows, the environment? What are the, the great things going on when it comes to our farmers? And what are the things that need some fixing and some help? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things that people talk about. You know, nutritionally is obviously one. Like, there's still some stigmas around red meat being a, a staple of a healthy nutritional diet. Um, and then there's obviously, like, the environmental and the kind of moral reasons around eating meat which get thrown in there. I think the environmental stuff is obviously kind of where the agricultural issues come in, right? Um, people often talk about what animals do to 
in terms of greenhouse gas and water use and um, you know their emissions in terms of methane. And they don't talk about the role that animals play in restoring soil quality. And when animals are raised the right way, they play a huge role in restoring organic matter back into the soil and sequestering carbon. And so there's a world of agriculture out there, regenerative agriculture, which really has picked up steam recently. But I think a lot of climate enthusiasts and people who are anti-red meat have gravitated towards kind of the bad practices that are happening in agriculture. So kind of your feedlot agriculture, where these animals are kind of staying in a confined space. They're not doing what they would normally do, which is rotational graze and go graze on the grasses and let those grasses grow and pull carbon back um, out of the atmosphere and back into the soil. And, um, you know, that has a huge effect on a lot of different systems, ecological systems in terms of putting water back into the soil and water actually being able to be stored in the ground. You know, a lot of uh, desertification is happening, uh, soil erosion is happening because these monocrop agriculture systems exist at such a scale where we're putting chemical fertilizers, herbicides, glyphosate, um, all, all these chemicals into the soil that allow the plant to grow, but they kill everything else. And you're not dealing with soil at that point, you're dealing with dirt. And that dirt can't absorb water, it runs right off and just start leads to this massive amount of soil erosion. So one of the things we're big about is just going to these farms and learning the stories about people who are doing it the right way. And so we visited a few places here in Texas, um, one in Crawford, Colorado, where they're practicing regenerative agriculture, really letting those animals live in line with nature. They live out on pasture and the role that they're doing for the environment is, is amazing. I mean, we, we've gotten close with the people out at Rome Ranch and Taylor Collins, who started Epic Provisions, which is that snack food, it's an animal-based snack food company. They ended up buying a ranch out there. They bought a completely barren piece of land that they said if you had gone out there when they initially bought it, you would have thought you were on the surface of the moon. They said nothing was living. And then they introduced bison. They, they rolled hay. So the bison would eat the hay and then recycle the nutrients from that hay and restore the soil quality through, you know, excreting that hay and putting the, their own nutrients back into the soil, peeing on the ground. And we're sitting here five years later and they've like completely restored that land. Biodiversity is back. They're saying they see new, new species of birds every day. So I think like a lot of the environmental topics are, are very nuanced, but when it comes down to it, if you're raising these animals the right way, there's a massive role for animals in actually fixing a lot of these environmental issues that people talk about. And it doesn't necessarily need to be 100% of animal agriculture being regenerative, but it needs to be more than 1%. It needs to be a significant portion of our food system shifting towards these practices that are letting these animals live in line with nature. So that's a huge core of like what we what we try to talk about on the Meat Mafia podcast is don't just think about your food in terms of going to the grocery store and picking it up. Really get intimate with your food system. We've grown so separated from our relationship with our farmers or relationship with our food. I think in the 50s, 45% of people at least had a garden or grew a portion of their food. Now it's less than 1%. So people just are detached from the food system. So just getting that intimacy again with where your food's coming from is really important, especially when it comes down to just like really appreciating the food that is, is being put on your uh, table. Yeah, to totally different scenario when you actually meet the farmer, see the animal, see the environment, and then get that food and the gratitude you have because you see 
kind of get an idea of the steps that went into getting that food to fuel your body versus going on my phone. And I'm guilty of this, like going on my phone, going on to Uber Eats, ordering, you know, from a healthy restaurant, but like 45 minutes later, I get somebody knock on my door and packaged food. It's like, right. there's a big separation there yeah. versus going to a farm, right? So for me, and for those listening and watching who live in big cities, I'm in Miami Beach, Miami, Florida, for those who live in big cities, it's harder, but not impossible, harder to get access to these local farmers. But what would be your recommendation for those who do live in big cities who want to get in touch with the farmers who want to do things the right way? What are some kind of practical ways they can do that? I think there's a number of things that they can do today to connect, especially with you being in Miami. There's a great website called wildfoods.co. And the great part about that website is it gives you the ability to filter by state, zip code and county. And you can find all the local farms and you can search for the exact types of animal protein that you want. So you can search for beef, chicken, eggs, raw dairy. And I think you can even get as granular as fruits and vegetables too. So that's a great resource. There's also an app called Shire. I think it's called Shire.io. Um, our buddy actually runs that. So kind of similar concept to wildfoods.co. How, how do you spell that? S-H-I-R-E. I think it's .io, I'm pretty sure. It might still be in beta, but I think it still has a bunch of farms uploaded there. Um, also, finding like your local chapter for the Weston West A. Price organization, that's awesome too. And they do that, I think, for almost every single town or county or area. Like if you're in a major city, they'll have one for New York, Miami, Dade County. And what they'll typically do for each chapter website is they'll they'll put in the local farmers markets, the local farms, where to be able to source a lot of your animal protein. So that's a great resource. And then I, I just touched on it too, but even just starting finding a farmer's market in your area, I would pretty much guarantee that anyone that's listening to this podcast has a farmer's market that's anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes away from them. And the best part about the farmer's market is that they're aggregating all the local farms and small businesses in one area. So then you can go, you can shake your rancher's hand like Harrison just talked about, and you can ask them questions about how their meat is raised are they grass-fed? Are they grass-finished? Are they utilizing regenerative practices? How is the animal being transported to the butcher? Like all these questions that you don't necessarily get being able to grow to the grocery store, you're able to get like a different level of customization from buying directly from your farmer. One of the things that Harrison mentioned earlier is that we're doing a conference. It's called the Beef Initiative Conference, and it's at White Oak Pastures in Georgia on September 16th. And one of the things is that it's in Bluffton, Georgia. And, and if you go to Bluffton, there aren't really supermarkets down there because White Oak is such an amazing regenerative farm and it's got such a strong connection with the community that consumers just go directly to the farm to get all their products, which is so amazing. And it's like for us, the three of us, it's such an abstract concept because we're so used to going to the grocery store or the supermarket. But back in the day when our metabolic health was much better as a country, we had direct relationships with our farmer. We, know who, we knew who our farmer was. We were sending him Christmas cards. We're buying our eggs from them. So a lot of what we talk about the meat mafia is like, let's try and build those relationships and teach you how to connect with those local farmers so you can support the right system. And you can nourish yourself and your family with the best quality protein possible. I love that. You mentioned, you said uh, a question to ask is how they transport the animals to the butcher. What, could you talk a little bit more about that? What are, what are the what right ways versus the things that you don't want them to do with that? Yeah, I think, I think part of the issue that a lot of people don't realize is that there's separate steps in the beef process to go from raising the cow to actually getting onto your plate. So the first step is like there's an actual, there's like the cow-calf rancher that's raising the animal and they might be doing everything the right way. They might be 
raising the cow on grass, rotational grazing, like Harrison was talking about, pasteurizing the animal. But then there's four beef packers that control like 80 to 90% of all the beef in the grocery store. So they basically, they kind of quietly have this monopoly over the meat that we're eating. So if one of these ranchers is using a big four packer, the practices to get to that packer probably aren't great. They might be like kind of jamming them in to transport it to the packing facility, et cetera. So even though the, even though the cow's being raised the right way, the animal's getting so stressed out on the way to the butchering facility, the processing facility, that it's jacking up the omega-6 of the animal, which is lead, triggering that inflammation. Like a lot of the gaminess that comes, that people think is that grass-fed meat has, it's actually not from the meat, it's from the stress of the animal. So that, so it, it all comes down to the processing. So typically if they're using like a more localized processing facility or they're doing things the right way, the omega-3 profile of the animal will be much better, the nutritional quality of the animal will be better, and then you're kind of inheriting that. I don't know if you think there's anything that I missed there. But. Yeah, no, I would just add like the volume that these packers are doing at these big packaging plants is insane. And so if you can just like put yourself in the animal's shoe, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever the right way to say that, that analogy is, um, you know, they're following in cow after cow into these processing facilities and you know they're doing like millions of pounds of or millions of cows a day uh, at some of these plants. So just the environment itself, like that last day is actually quite important. I mean, if there are hormonal releases to the stress that's happening at the facility, like cortisol release, because they're so frightened because they're seeing all, seeing and hearing all these new machinery moving around them, that really does happen. And like, if it's at a smaller facility, they're getting a little bit more of that nuanced touch where they're really taking care of the animal. So there's some science around it that that last day is actually quite important when it comes to what you're getting with that food. It makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and I remember when I was um, interviewing Dr. Zach Bush a couple years ago, he was sharing with me a story in relation to what you're saying here. And he was telling me about a patient he had several years ago, he was working with this patient when he was working one on one with people. And uh, she kept having these reoccurring panic attacks. And it always happened in the afternoon. And he was trying to figure out, you know, why this is happening. So he asked her to kind of do a food journal and write down everything she was eating. And every single day at lunchtime, she was having a chicken salad for lunch. And she was eating not a healthy chicken salad, a chicken that was tortured in a cage, screaming out, help me, help me, high stress, changing the omega profile. They would kill that chicken, put it into a chicken salad. And every day she would eat it. And then boom, panic attack an hour later. So he had to remove the chicken salad to something healthier and the panic attacks went away, right? It's exactly what you're saying. The stress of the animal is making a big difference to the stress of us and how what we eat. We are not just what we eat, we're what we absorb and the stress of what we eat as well, to your point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say too, Harris and I were just talking about this this morning. I see this a lot in the low carb community. We have a strong tendency to focus just on like the macronutrient profile, right? Protein, carbs, fat, what are those ratios looking like? But we've kind of gotten away from the ability to look at the micronutrient profile. You know, what are the vitamins and minerals and nutrients that we're actually extracting from the meat? And that makes a massive difference. And I'm going to be totally honest. In 2018, when I first went carnivore, my budget could pretty much only afford beef from the local grocery store. And I ate that and I still healed my stomach. So number one, you should always be doing what's best for your, for your budget. And if you are eating stuff in the outer aisle of the grocery store, you're still going to be healthier than 99% of the population. But to make that intentional effort to source things from a local farm, 
you're going to be supporting basically an entirely new supply chain that's way healthier for the farmer. It's way healthier for you. You're able to extract more micronutrients from the animal, and you're going to have those optimal health goals that you're looking for. Like if you look at pictures of me now to when I was from in 2018, it literally looks like a different person because it is a different person because when you nourish your body with the right nutrients, it's like you absorb all those nutrients, you can feel it, your energy levels are better. These things are like holistic assets. So it's like, yeah, you might be paying a few dollars more, but it's it's an investment in your health. And that's what we always try and talk about. That's right. Yeah, health, you just said it. Health is not an expense, it's an investment. And of course, we want to be empathetic towards your anybody's budget and do the best you can. But even like Harrison said, if you just focus on the outer aisles of the grocery store, the produce section, the the poultry, the meat section, you're going to be doing better than many other people out there. And then it'll evolve. Then you go and you, you look for grass-fed, grass-finished. And let's, let's actually talk about that, right? For those who are actually going to the supermarket, Whole Foods or the local supermarket, what are some of the things we want to look for when it comes to buying beef, poultry, eggs? What are the things that are red flags versus the things that are safer at those places? Yeah, I usually, I mean, I start with beef. Uh, I think that beef, if you're getting it from the right source and it's, pro, you know, pasture raised, there really aren't a whole lot of like misnomers or, um, you know, nuances to, to getting a proper beef. If you're just looking for 100% grass fed pasture raised beef, you know what you're getting is is going to be solid. I think when you start to go into some of the like the arguments around like uh, chicken and pork, you know a lot of these animals are fed corn and for corn and soy diets. Um, so there's some nuance there where maybe the the polyunsaturated fatty acid content in some of those animals is actually a little bit higher than you would expect. So I always try to steer towards a, a more beef based diet. And then get my eggs from a place where I know that they're raising them on pasture. They're not supplementing the feed with uh, a corn and soy diet. So for me, like my diet is very much centered around kind of the staples of like beef, getting like probably two pounds per day of like ground beef for my week and then getting enough eggs, probably like, you know, two dozen eggs for the week. Um, that are raised on pasture that aren't supplemented with corn and soy. I think that for me is like the the bedrock. And then I kind of, you know, supplement from there, go get some fermented veggies to throw in to some of those base meals that I make off of that beef and egg combo. But yeah, that's where I typically start. I don't know. I mean, that, that's kind of the beginning for me. I don't know if you have anything to add. I would say similar. I would just also just be careful of some of the marketing tricks that these companies use. So like Harrison mentioned, particularly with pork and chicken, you know, 90% of what you're going to find in a grocery store, they're feeding them corn and soy just because it fattens them up the quickest and economically it's the best. And these companies know how to label it to make it look healthy. So like they'll throw in terms like cage-free or vegetarian fed, but if it doesn't explicitly say, um, you know, that they're, that they're eating grass or bugs or what chickens are supposed to be eating, they're probably fed corn and soy. So I would just look out for those labels. And then also when it comes to beef, the interesting thing is that, um, there used to be something called the Country of Origin Labeling Act, which stated that grocery stores and retailers would have to disclose the location of where they were importing their beef from. So if they were getting something from Argentina or Mexico, the grocery store would have to tell the consumer where it's coming from. That act was repealed, I think it was 2016 or 2018. So now you could go to Whole Foods and you look at this like greenwash thing, it'll say like pasture-raised beef in the USA. And all that means is that the, the animal could come from Argentina, but be butchered in the U.S. by one of these big four packers. And you think you're buying like 
local, you're in the Whole Foods in Austin, you think you're buying Texas beef in the Whole Foods. And really, it was just imported over as cheaply as possible, fed, you know, grain, refined, you know, corn, soy, etc. And you're inheriting all that. So I would just be careful. And um, I would just try and find places that will actually ship meat to your door if you can, if you can yeah, actually. Afford. That's what I do. That's what I do. You, I use I use U.S. Wellness Meats. Paleo Valley has a new company coming out that's going to do that too. Mm-hmm. I, Paleo Valley is terrific. They focus on regenerative farming. Um, we're running out of time here and I want to respect your time. So where can my audience, the keto campers, learn more about you? You have your Meat Mafia podcast. So those who are listening or watching on YouTube, go subscribe to that podcast. But where else can they check you out? Yeah, we we started on Twitter. So we have the whole Meat Mafia stick on Twitter. My account is Carney Clemenza. Brett's is Mr. Salazzo. But we also have a sub, a sub stack page where we're writing daily usually around these types of topics, you know, connecting the dots between the food system and nutritional health for people. And then uh, I think beyond that, the podcast is obviously on our Substack page. So it'll be easy to find us there. But um, those are really the best places to find us. Awesome. We'll put that down below. So everybody go check them out. You guys are inspiring to me and so many people out there. I'm excited to see where this journey takes you like this movement with the meat mafia. It's very important what you're doing because a lot of people are not aware of what you just share with us today. So got Harrison and Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Dude, thank you so much for having us, man. It's been an honor. I mean, you have mutual admirers over here where we're doing the Twitter, your YouTube channel, your podcast, Instagram. It's like, that's inspirational for us. And, uh, we just appreciate the ability to, to connect with you and just can't wait to have you on our show too. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with the Meat Mafia. Go check them out on Twitter. We'll put their handles down below, including their YouTube channel, which is awesome. And go subscribe to their Meat Mafia podcast. I'm going to be a guest on there very, very soon. Go check out the resources they mentioned down below in the podcast notes and share this with somebody you know. It can make a big difference if you just copy and paste the link in a text message or post it on social media. Go follow them. And also, please consider leaving the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review if you have not done so already. If you want to learn more about my detox program, ketocampdetox.com to learn more. If you want to watch the video version of this interview and all interviews from the Keto Camp Podcast, that can be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash keto camp. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with the Meat Mafia and myself. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.